Let's turn to James chapter 1. And I'll just, fair warning, the introduction that I'm going to give before I even read James is going to be a little longer than normal. So I don't want you to think, oh my goodness, is he ever going to get there? I am. Just hang with me, okay? I want to start by asking, how do Christians dance? And when I was growing up, when Christine and I were married, we were married in a church where there was no dancing and there weren't no drinking at our reception, okay? No dancing and no drinking. And a lot of us grew up in church where to think that Christians dance, that's just horrible. But every Christian dances. And the question is, how do they dance? Um, Pastor Bob Flayhart, who uh, some of you will, will know, I think the Allsbrooks were members of his church for many years. Pastor, pastor Bob Flayhart was the pastor of Oak Mountain PCA in Birmingham for decades. And he says that there are three ways, three kinds of dances uh, Christians do. Uh, there's a one-step dance, there's a two-step dance, and a three-step dance. And he says this, the one-step dance is kind of like the bunny hop. Everybody familiar with the bunny hop? Shall I demonstrate? Yes. You hold the person in front of you, and you just hop. That's a one-step dance, right? The bunny hop. And he says that there are actually three kinds of bunny hops. Um, one of them, the first one, is the try-harder bunny hop where this Christian says, I'm going to dig deep. I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm going to fight, fight, fight with all my might. I'm going to get her done. That's the try harder bunny hop. But you might say, well, doesn't the Bible tell us to make every effort? It does. Of course it does. But that's not the only dance step in the Christian life. He says there's another one, one step bunny hop. And it's on the opposite end of the spectrum from try harder. It's the surrender one step. It says you're trying too hard, so just surrender. Let go. Let God rest. And it's, it's kind of if, it, it's as if if you just wait, somehow you'll be magically zapped by the Holy Spirit and you'll do what God wants you to do. Um, does the Bible call us to rest? Absolutely. Isaiah 30, 15, in repentance and rest you shall be saved, and quietness and in trust shall be your strength. So, of course, resting in Jesus is a crucial part of the Christian life, but that's not all of it. It's one step. The third bunny hopper step is to say that if you want to, the Christian life to work, you need to be repenting. You need to be confessing your sin constantly. If you confess more, repent more, then you'll be cleansed and your Christian life will work better, some might say. Well, of course, the Bible does call us to repent and to confess our sins, but it's not the only step in the dance we do. So that's, those are three different kinds of one-steps, bunny hops, that Pastor Flayhart talks about. And then he says, there's, there's Christian Texas two-steps. Um, I will not demonstrate that. I don't even know how to do it. YouTube. Um, but this is where we will tend to reduce the Christian life to just two steps. And the most common 
Christian two-step, he says, is repent and try harder. You're walking through life, you sin, you confess it, you promise to do better, and you try really hard not to do it again. The problem is that there's no Jesus in that dance. There's no Jesus in that two-step. And honestly, you don't even have to be a Christian to dance that way. You can feel sorry for what you've done and try not to hurt and try hard not to do it again. But then uh, Pastor Flayhart says there's another two-step that's actually the closest to how the Bible says Christians should dance. And it's the repent and believe two-step. Repent of your sins and rest afresh in the good news of Jesus and his grace. But, he says, it's still not complete because there are a whole host of commands, even in the New Testament, that we're called to follow as Christians. And remember, uh, James, that we're studying now, has an average of two commands for every verse, about 54 commands in 108 verses. And Titus 2 says that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and yes to righteousness. And remember, when Jesus started his public ministry, in Mark 1, it says that Jesus came on the scene and he said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. So there's repent and believe. And then Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. That's the third step. There's actually three steps in the Christian dance. Repeat, repent, believe, and follow Jesus. Now, what dance has a rhythm of three steps? Maybe I'll demonstrate. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. What is that? It's the waltz. So Pastor Flayhart calls it the gospel waltz. There it is. So... The cross in the middle represents the music of the gospel, the beauty and music and um, of, as we read earlier, of the Father singing over us, exulting over us with loud singing because of what he's done in us and through us by his son. And our response to the music of the gospel is this three-step dance of repentance, belief, and following Jesus. Jesus said in Mark 1, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, it's time, Jesus said. All that's been promised and pictured in the Old Testament is being fulfilled in me and through me and by me and for you. Time's up. The kingdom of God has finally come because the king has come. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise we proclaimed in our call to worship in Zephaniah 3. The king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. That's what Jesus was saying. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Jesus is not only preaching the gospel, he's singing it. And he says, now, Here's how you respond to my gospel music. You dance with this three-step rhythm of repent, believe the good news, and follow me. And throughout the New Testament, 
the apostles continue to teach us how to dance in response to the music of the gospel, how to hear Jesus exulting over us with loud singing, and how to respond in repentance, belief, and following him. And so now, here in these verses, we're getting to James. Here in these verses, James will play the song again. And he'll draw the damp steps on the floor for us to follow. So listen as I read this. Listen for the song and look for the three dance steps, okay? Let's stand and hear the word of the God who rejoices over you with gladness and exults over you with loud singing. James chapter 1, verses 16 to 27. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the, from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Now, I want to show you a picture. All right. I don't dance, okay? You can ask my family. I promise you, I don't dance. But this is me dancing. And the next picture is another angle of me dancing at Micah's wedding in August. Now, I want you to see my wife standing behind me in utter shock. (laughs) You see her? She cannot believe this, right? Because, as she would tell people after this happened, he doesn't dance. I've I've officiated 30-some weddings, and I never dance at weddings. Maybe just a little like middle school dance with my wife, but not like this. I mean, I was getting down. Um, and the song was "Cool in the Gang Celebration." So, um, but what in the world would make me all of a sudden bust a move like that? It's because of what I was celebrating. It's because of what I just heard. I just heard the glorious gospel in my son's wedding and this beautiful picture 
of Jesus' love for his bride. And this is my son. This is not just anybody getting married. This is my boy. And when the music came on, I couldn't help myself. I had to dance. And that's what James is going to do for us uh, in this passage. He's going to play the song. (laughs) He's going to play some gospel music. And he's going to turn up the volume. Look at what he says in verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Now, what's he talking about? Remember, we've been talking about trials and temptations. And he's saying, in the middle of your trials, you're going to be tempted to believe that there's nothing you can count as joy. You'll be tempted to believe the oldest lie in the book, as old as the Garden of Eden, that God can't be trusted and you have to find life by taking matters into your own hands. Don't be deceived, James says. It will only lead to death. That's what Robert told us last week. So, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James is saying, sin will promise you life and give you death. Sin will promise you light and give you darkness. But God is not a shifting shadow. He promises life, and you will get life from him. James said that when you take your desires anywhere else but to God, then that desire, we heard last week, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. But he's saying in these verses, there's good news for sinners like that. Sinners like us who have done just that. The death we produced in our own lives does not have the final word. It doesn't have to. He says in verse 18 that this good father, out of his, out of his own will, brought us forth, literally gave us birth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Friends, that's the music of the gospel. John said it this way, to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The father sings over all of his children. He says, my heart for you is good. I only know how to give good and perfect gifts. And the best gift I have given you is new birth through Jesus. And now you are the first fruits of the new creation that I have promised will come. I've sent my son to make you my sons and daughters. The renewal of all things begins with you because of Jesus. And the gospel is the word that announces the truth of that promise. Now, that music moves Christians to dance. And the newborn children of God dance three steps repent, believe, and follow Jesus. And we'll see these dance steps as we continue in James. First, the first step of repent. He goes on in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. 
So those whom the Father has given new birth by the word of truth are new creations who cannot be at peace with sin anymore. John said it this way in verse, 1 John 3, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. That sounds like James, doesn't it? And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So newborn sons and daughters of God who have the seed of the word of God implanted in them can't be at peace with sin anymore. Now, James doesn't use the word repent in these verses, but he describes what repentance looks like. At first, he describes repentance of a particular kind of sin, and then he describes repentance in general. So let's look at the particular sin that he is describing uh, that we repent of. He says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now we have to remember, again, I want to remind us that these folks he's writing to were under a great deal of stress. Uh, they, were, they had been persecuted and driven from their homes during the persecution in Jerusalem and scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Um, they were experiencing financial burdens because of that. There were, there were apparently relational tensions within the churches. When you bring people who have been separated into all their socioeconomic classes into a body uh, who all believe in Jesus and now they have to get along with each other, it causes some trouble. And it's easy to get irritated when we're in these kinds of stresses with your own family, with people in your church, people you work with. And later in James chapter 4, he's going to refer to fighting and quarreling going on between them. So our sinful tendency when we're stressed is to be slow to listen and quick to speak from an easily provoked heart. But James says, no, <laughs> no. That kind of easily angered heart is nothing like the righteous love for God and love for others that God produces in the Jesus-shaped heart, in the newborn heart. Rather, James says, the Jesus-shaped heart repents of and turns away from that kind of relating and becomes more like the Father who gave us birth, who Exodus says is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So, so when you know, when you hear the music of the gospel, that you have been born again by the word of truth, um, and that Jesus himself has been planted in you by his spirit, you begin to repent of the old way of dealing with people, and you listen quicker than you speak, and when you speak, you're slow to anger. Friends, um, if our communities could see that in the lives of Christians today, both in person and online, they would think something had happened to us. They might begin to think that we were born brand new. So that's repentance in particular, but then he describes repentance in general in verse 21. He says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Um, put away, it means to take, it, 
take off this clothing and set it aside, lay it aside. Um, Paul used the same word in Colossians 3 when he said, Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. Here are some of the things to put away and, and put to death, as Paul says it. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, Paul says, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must, and he uses James's word here, put them all away, lay them aside, take them off. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge after the image of its creator, which is alluding to what James says about we are the first, free, first fruits of a new creation. We're being renewed in the image of Jesus. Hebrews 12 uses the same word. Let us also lay aside, put away every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. So friends, I'm curious this morning, is this, is this the step? Do you bunny hop on the repentance step? Or is this the step that's missing from your dance? Are you tired of hearing people tell you to repent? Well, the Bible says it over and over and over again. And it's an invitation to put away the things that you aren't anymore. Those who are born anew in Jesus uh, don't want the things that they're called to repent of. I mean, they, they want them, <laughs> but then they don't ultimately want them. So I'm, ask, I'm asking, is this, is this step in the dance one that you avoid? Or, if or is it the only one you tend to do? Do you get stuck there? Well, let's keep going. James also tells us to believe. He says, he goes on in verse 21, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. He's saying when you turn from your sin, I'm asking you, what are you turning to? Do you turn back to yourself? Are you just going to try harder and do better next time? James is saying, no, don't, don't turn back to yourself when you repent of your sin. Turn to Jesus. Don't wallow in your repentance. Walk toward him. James is saying, turn back again to the good news about Jesus, the word that the Father planted in you, that made you his new creation, that saved your soul once and for all, and will continue to save it and transform it until you are, as James said, perfect and complete, lacking in, in nothing. And that's what the author of Hebrews said that we just said. Lay aside sin, and look to Jesus. So James is saying, put away sin and put your eyes on Christ. The Puritans used to say, for every one look at your sin, at yourself, take ten looks at Jesus. 
Now, again, James doesn't use the word believe here, but he's describing belief. He's describing faith with these words, receive with meekness. And I think here we begin to think, oh, we remember that Jesus talked about those soils and that the soil that actually bore fruit was the one that was plowed and tilled and ready to receive the seed of the word. And so he says, receive with meekness the word. Receive with a meek, lowly, humble, I know I'm needy heart. Receive the good gift of the good news from your good father again. That if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That for your sake, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. Receive that good news again and again and again. It's not only the the good news that saved you the first time, it's the good news that will continue to save you and transform you until he comes. Now, here's a, a pastoral warning for you, something that I'm continuing to learn in my own dance. And I wanted to wanted to say this and be clear about this. Believing the gospel, receiving the implanted word, is not merely receiving information about Jesus. It's not less than receiving information about Jesus because you have to have information about Jesus to know him. But it doesn't stop with receiving information about him. Jesus himself warned us about this in John chapter 5. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they, those scriptures, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Go to the scriptures, yes, but don't stop with just getting the information about Jesus. Receive Jesus. Receive him yourself. The dance step of belief is not merely receiving the word about Jesus, but receiving and resting on the Jesus who's presented us, presented to us in that word. And like the rest of the New Testament, James is showing us that repenting and believing are two sides of the same coin. Sometimes we call it repentant faith. Because Listen, back in verse 21, in one breath, James says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Put away and receive. Put away sin and receive Jesus. Repentant faith means that in your dance with Jesus, you stop trying to take the lead and you lean into his lead. You follow his lead. Repentance is... Jesus, I'm trying to take the lead again, whatever that looks like. I'm I'm trying to take the lead again. Believing is, Jesus, I trust you. I'm going to lean into your lead. My question is this morning, do you see that rhythm of repentant belief in your life? Now, as Pastor Flayhart said, many Folks just stop there. They repent and believe. They think that's all there is to the Christian life. And then we sometimes resist any preaching or teaching that tells us there are things we must do. And sometimes when 
preachers stand and preach the commands, the imperatives of the scriptures, people cry, legalists, legalists. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Um, I think Dallas Willard said it well. God is not opposed to effort. He's opposed to earning. <laughs> He's not opposed to you making every effort. Uh, independence on the Spirit. He's opposed to you trying to earn grace by your performance. The third step is Jesus said, follow me, follow me. That's the third step in the gospel waltz. Jesus, uh, James says there's mu there must be a response to the good news about Jesus, and he calls that response being a doer of the word. Verse 22 but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, or he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So James is referring again back to the implanted word from verses 18 and 21. And he says that this mirror, here he calls it the perfect, which means complete or mature, the perfect law, the law of liberty. Now we tend to think of the law as not gospel, but in this case, James is talking about the law in a different way. He calls it the complete law, the law of liberty. He's looking at it on the other side of Jesus fulfilling it. Because remember, his brother Jesus said, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So James is telling us not only to look at what the law requires, but look at the law fulfilled in Jesus. That's the law of liberty. So yes, you look at the mirror of the law head on and you see where you've fallen short of loving God and loving others. But there's another way to look at a mirror, isn't there? Look at it from an angle. When you look at the mirror of the law at this angle, you see that everything that's in the law actually is a description of God's character embodied in Jesus himself who fully kept every law, who fully loved God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loved his neighbor as himself. And so, yes, we look at the law and we see where we fall short, but then we look at it in an angle and we see that this mirror also points to Jesus, who has fulfilled it all in our place. When you look at that angle, you'll see that the one standing beside you is Jesus. He's, the, he's fulfilled the law that exposes you as a lawbreaker. And he's loved God and others perfectly in your place. And by his spirit in you, he's making you a law keeper. And that's why it's a law of liberty. Because by his spirit, God is writing his law on, the, on your heart, as the prophet says. And it's freeing to live loving God and loving others. Ezekiel 36 God promised, I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes. 
and to obey my rules. It's by his spirit, by the spirit of Jesus in us, that we begin to live in the liberty of loving God and loving others. And James is telling us, don't look intently into the word about the father making you new through his son and make you, making you to live and love like his son and then walk in, away and do nothing in response. To be a doer of the word is to live as a son or daughter because you've been born again. And the, to be a doer of the word is to live like the son, Jesus. To live as a son of God, a daughter of God, because of God's own will. He gave us birth by the word of truth. And we are now a kind of first fruits of his creation. We're new creations. So to be a doer of the word is to live as a new creation. But it's also to live like his son. That's what it looks like. Jesus is what it looks like to live as a new creation. And in the rest of this passage, James gives a specific example or two or three of what it looks like to follow Jesus as a doer of the word, to live like him. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these verses. I just want to show you how these things that, that James says here at the end of this passage are just, they're, they're pictures of Jesus. And that James is calling us by the power of the Spirit of Jesus in us as new creations to live like Jesus. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So... James says, follow Jesus in the way that you bridle your tongue and use it as your Father in heaven wants you to use it because that's what Jesus said. I only say what I hear my Father say. I only use my tongue the way my Father wants me to use my tongue. And James is saying, that's what it means to be a doer of the word that tells you you're a son or daughter of God is you talk like a son or daughter of God. He goes on, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Orphans and widows would be the most vulnerable people in that society, the least and the last. And so James is saying, follow Jesus in the way you have his compassion for the least and the last, for the vulnerable and the needy among you. Remember? Matthew said that Jesus had compassion on people because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So for us to have a heart of compassion and uh, hands of action for the most vulnerable and needy among us is to be a doer of the word that says we, like Jesus, are sons, are daughters of the Father. And then finally, James goes on and says, the other part of religion that is pure and undefiled is to keep oneself unstained from the world. So then he says, follow Jesus as you keep your head and your heart and your hands unstained by the world. And this is exactly what Jesus prayed for us in John 17. He said, Father, I ask that you 
Not that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. He says, sanctify them in the truth. <coughs> Whenever you see the word sanctify or sanctification, you could read it this way. Holify them. Holification. Make them holy. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate or sanctify myself that they may also be sanctified in the truth. In other words, Jesus kept himself, kept himself unstained from the world for our sake. And so, to be a doer of the word is to keep ourselves sanctified by the truth of God's word, from the, sanctified from the world for the sake of the world. Jesus was in the world, but not of the world, for the sake of the world, and he calls us to be the same. So, friends, if, if you quit, James says, if you walk away from this mirror, if you quit looking at the perfect law of liberty, you're going to forget what you were but are no longer. You're going to forget what you are now in Christ. And you're going to forget what he's making you to be through Christ. Those who have heard the music of the gospel can't help. They can't help but repent, believe, and follow Jesus. They've got to move. So Covenant College, um, back when my kids were there, and maybe they still do it, they had this thing called a silent disco. Anybody been to the silent disco? So what it is is a, a room full of students, and they're all wearing headphones that light up, and it's dark, and it, you just see a room full of people wearing headphones. And if you walked into that room, you would hear nothing, but you'd see everybody dancing, having a great time, busting a move, doing all these things. And it, it's kind of strange because... They hear the music, and they're all dancing and having a good time, but you're, you're walking in going, hmm. Now, how strange would it be for you to walk into that room without the headphones on and try to imitate what they're doing? You come up to this dude, and you're like, hmm. Uh, I can try to imitate their moves, but without hearing the music, it, it, it's really kind of stale, and I mean, maybe I can kind of get close to looking like. Um, I feel like that's <laughs> uh, personally how I try to do the dance, repent, believe, and obey a lot. I do it without remembering to listen to the music in the first place. And I try to imitate, I try to go through the motions of repentance and believing Jesus and following Jesus, but uh, it just kind of falls flat. Friends, if you're going to start anywhere, go back to the music of the gospel. You can't live like Jesus and dance like Jesus did without hearing the music he heard when his father said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You need to listen to the same music Jesus listened to. And you can't imitate how his other children are dancing uh, to his music if you're not hearing it yourself. I plead with you. That's why you're here. You're here to hear the music. You're here to, to hear the music in this table. Friends, this week, 
God is going to put you on several dance floors. Uh, the dance floor at home, dance floor at work, the dance floor at school, on your team, in your neighborhood. And I want to encourage you to keep looking intently into the word about Jesus, listening to his father exult over you with loud singing, receiving the meekness receiving with meekness the love he's giving you in Jesus, and then dance. You can dance in a meeting at work when so-and-so across the table is driving you nuts and is irritating you, and you can quickly do the gospel waltz. You can say, Father, so-and-so is driving me crazy. Uh, that's, not the kind, that's not the heart of Jesus. I don't have the heart of Jesus right now for that person. I'm not slow, to, uh, uh, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I, I repent. And I, but I, I remember that you said, I'm a new person. I'm a new creation in Christ. And the spirit of Jesus lives in me. Give me the love of the spirit of Jesus for that person. Because I know how irritating I was to you, Jesus. And you loved me. And you were slow to anger with me and still are. And then follow Jesus into being a different kind of person with that person. Maybe no one else in the room has ever treated that person the way Jesus would. And you get the opportunity. That's what I mean. Do the gospel waltz. Do the gospel waltz throughout your week in the places he's put you. Let's pray. Father... Whew, that was a lot, but uh, James has given us good stuff to remember, laying out some steps for us to follow. And we come to this table, Lord, um, because it's here that we hear the music again. We hear you say, because Christ is in us and we're in Christ, we hear you say, you are my beloved in whom I am well pleased. And Lord, when we receive that with meekness again today, um, would you, by your spirit, make us move, make us dance with joy because we hear you exulting over us with loud singing. In Christ's name we pray, amen.